It's the mid to late 1980s, and Dino De Laurentiis sees a group of people standing in a line. He thinks they're waiting to see a movie. It's a natural thought for De Laurentiis. After all, he's a movie producer who at this point has been in the industry for over 40 years. But things aren't going well for De Laurentiis in the mid to late 1980s. A guy who's always been able to raise funds for his features, he decided to start a studio, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. He started it with $240 million in investments in 1984. It was enough to get a studio built and start production on a number of features. By 1986, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group started rolling out movie after movie. They released 12 movies that year. All of them, all 12, were a bust at the box office. Dino was needing a hit. The line of people waiting to see a movie? Turns out, that's actually a line of people waiting to buy lottery tickets. When a friend points this out, De Laurentiis gets an idea. An idea that's completely ridiculous and just crazy enough to, well, to not work. My name is Dan Delgado, and in this episode, we're taking a look at Dino De Laurentiis and his million-dollar mystery. Welcome to the industry. When it comes to Dino De Laurentiis, there's no shortage of stories to tell. So here's a quick rundown on some of them. He started producing movies at the age of 21 in his native Italy and kept on producing them for the next 65 years. He wouldn't let George Lucas have the rights to Flash Gordon, causing Lucas to make up his own space epic. When he finally decided to get around to using those Flash Gordon rights, he cast Sam Jones as the lead character after seeing him on The Dating Game. He turned down Meryl Streep for his remake of King Kong because she was too ugly. After Jaws was a huge hit in 1975, a movie he did not produce, he decided to produce this two years later. An innocent creature is destroyed by an act of human cruelty, and the ultimate battle of man against nature begins. Dino De Laurentiis presents Orca. After a string of high-priced failures in the late 1970s, he earned the nickname Dino De Horrendous. He produced two of Federico Fellini's classics, La Strada and Knights of Cabiria, as well as films for Roberto Rossellini and Ingmar Bergman. In the 1960s, he gave us a couple of campy comic book adaptations, Danger Diabolic and Barbarella. In the 1970s, he made Death Wish, Serpico, and Three Days of the Condor. He produced every movie to feature Hannibal Lecter, except for Silence of the Lambs. In addition to the studio he built, which was in North Carolina, he also built three others, one in Morocco, one in Australia, and one just outside of Rome. When he died in 2010 at the age of 91, he still had four movies stuck in various stages of development. Those are just some of the highlights. But what was he really like? What was it like to work with Dino De Laurentiis? Oh, my name is Robert Dino Yansani. Robertino Yanzani worked for the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group as a chef at their Wilmington, North Carolina studio in the mid-1980s. I asked Robertino how he got involved with Dino De Laurentiis. Oh, well, this is a long story. And for Robertino, working for Dino De Laurentiis wasn't just another job. It was the fulfillment of a goal he had set for himself years earlier when he was a teenager growing up in Puerto Rico. When I was a teenager, I worked in... Um, theater in Ponce, Puerto Rico. He was at the front taking tickets. And I remember back in 1977, they had the movie King Kong. 
the one Meryl Streep was too ugly for. Don't worry. I heard she's doing fine these days. And I remember it was a Saturday night. It was uh, the last show of the night was 8 o'clock. And two people that came in was uh, a, a young mother with a five-year-old daughter. And um, I was told, Roberto, don't let nobody in no more because it's full. There's no more seats. And Robertino does not want to tell these two they can't see the movie. But he has no choice. So he tells them, I'm sorry, it's sold out. And uh, she said, please, you know, I'll sit on the floor. Well, because of the, the, the theater policy, we're not supposed to do that. I said, I can't let you in because I'm sorry. And she said, please, so I came from two towns away I, in a taxi, and my daughter wanted to see the movie. And I said, you have to come back tomorrow because tomorrow we'll see it, we'll show it again. And she said, we, we cannot come back tomorrow because we don't have the money to come back. We uh, use public transportation. And then the little girl starts crying, and the mother is begging Please let us in to see the movie. And Robertino, for a second, doesn't know what to do. I was supposed to close the door, and I, you know, I said, oh, I can't do this. Then he gets an idea. I say to them, excuse me, give me, give me about a couple minutes. I'll be right back. Close the door, and I went up there to the projection room, and knowing, you know, the projection, it was a friend of mine, an old man named Ross, and I knew he got a couple of seats there at the projection room. And I asked him, you know, you don't mind if I bring two people up here to use those chairs? And they're not promised they're not going to bother you. It's a little girl with a mother. And now he said, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you can bring them. So he goes back downstairs and tells them, I've got good news for you. Sit, do sit for you. And the best seat on the theater, the whole theater, you are all, all by yourself. You can see the whole screen right from the projection room. Well, you know, it was just like I made that little girl's life. I mean, you know, she hold on to my leg and won't want to go on my leg, you know. She was so happy. So, you know, I accorded them to the projection room and got some popcorn, get them some popcorn. And, you know, I closed the doors. And even though 15-year-old Robertino works at the movie theater, he still hasn't seen King Kong yet. So the movie starts. The beginning, the movie begins when Jeff Bridges goes into the boat. Then, you know, the ship is starting pulling off the dock, the, dock, the pier. And then it happens. You see uh, the name Dino De Laurentiis present. You know, and uh, that name kind of got me. And ever since that time, you know, it, it got impact on me because most of the movies that we show in that theater were Dino De Laurentiis. I saw that Hollywood was just about Dino De Laurentiis because almost all the movies were Dino De Laurentiis, you know, that Witch, you know, Liptic, you know, the Gypsies. And right there and then, 15-year-old Robertino Yanzani sets a goal for himself. So I said, I one day I'm going to meet that guy in, in, in person. One day I said. A couple of years later, Robertino joins the Navy in 1980, but not before sending a letter to Dino. I uh, wrote a letter to Mr. Dino De Laurentiis telling him what happened about that little girl, but he did not reply. Instead, it was his longtime assistant and translator who responded. This starts a relationship, and when Robertino gets out of the Navy in 1985... When I got out of the Navy, I asked Dorina... That's Dino's assistant. ...that I needed a job, and she said, well, they have, he has a movie studio in North Carolina. You can come and work in there. And that's how Robertino came to work for the man he saw as synonymous with Hollywood, Mr. Dino De Laurentiis. 
He went to work for Dino's new studio, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group that had just opened in Wilmington, North Carolina. And make no mistake, Robertino really looked up to Dino. He even kind of changed his name because of him. He was the one who started calling me Robertino, because that's how you call a little Robert in Italian, Robertino. So I, everybody was calling me Robertino, so I, I, I adopted that name. Okay, so it's not a legal name change, but you get the idea. So what I wanted to know from Robertino was, what was it like to deal with Dino on a daily basis? I met Dino face to face, spoke to him a few times. He was not an easy person to talk to. You gotta be like him, you know, good move. But then Robertino tells me this story that illustrates Dino's work ethic. But uh, one, one time that I was... Um, uh, working in the movie No Mercy. And for those of you who don't know or don't remember, No Mercy is a 1986 thriller starring Richard Gere and Kim Basinger. And I came to the commissary and I found out that the kitchen was all a mess. And uh, the people from the first ship that left the mess like that. And I was supposed to do craft service for the movie No Mercy. And I I was getting ready. So I, I was closer to Martha. Martha Shoemaker was Dino De Laurenti's girlfriend at the time. Martha Shoemaker was Dino's producing partner and would marry Dino in 1990. They remained together until Dino's death in 2010. I went to get Martha to let her know what, what the people in the first ship had done. They didn't clean the kitchen, that the kitchen was real dirty. And I went and complained to her that the kitchen was left mess. So he goes looking for Martha, but when he gets to her office, he doesn't find her. Instead, he finds Dino. Now keep in mind, at this point, Dino De Laurentiis is not just a producer, but he is the head of an entire studio. He told me, Marta's not here. It's something I can help you with. And I, I didn't want to say nothing to him. He said, you know, I didn't really want to complain to him about what happened. But, you know, De Laurentiis was the kind of person who, when he made a movie, he was involved in the, whole, in the movie from A to Z about everything, the screenplay, the director, the actors, the extras, every little detail of the movie, he was involved. So even what, what we were going to feed people today. And when I came to and told him that the first ship let them met, the kitchen, a real mess, I know how he was. So, you know, I knew I was going to get people in trouble. But since I was there, and he said to me, oh, come and show me. So Robertino shows him. They walk across the studio to the commissary, and when Dino sees the condition that the kitchen was left in, his reaction is not the best. When he saw that the, the kitchen a mess, he said to me, Robertino, get in the phone, call everybody that was here this morning. And I said, well, I don't know, I don't have the numbers. And he said to me, well, tomorrow morning when you come back, I want you to come back tomorrow morning and tell everybody that they're fired. And just like that, Dino has decided to fire his entire kitchen staff. I said, well, you know, Mr. De Laurentiis, you know, we can, we can talk. We can talk this out. That's why, you know, because the people in the morning, they're my friends. Also, you know, I, didn't mean, I did not mean to go that far, you know. Like I said, well, you know, it's bad when you have a job, you have to do your job. And, uh, well, you know, he said to me, Robertino, go ahead and get ready for you because I have to get on the truck and drive 10 miles away. Robertino has to drive to Atlanta to the No Mercy set. But that kitchen isn't going to clean itself. He put an apron on and he was doing dishes. I said, oh, my, Mr. De Laurentiis, fine. It's fine. I can do it. Just go ahead and go. Go back to the office. And he said, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I can do that when I come back. 
No, he said, no, you got to go. I, well, when I came back, he didn't have all this stuff. You know, he, well, I finished it up. I came back around 3 o'clock in the morning, and I finished it up. Then I tried to sweep it under the carpet. You know, I didn't say nothing the next day. So Dino did the first half of the cleaning, and then Robertino did the other half of the cleaning. And just in case you're wondering, nobody got fired. You know, but I, I told I told everybody, you know, you, you guys are here. You guys do do a job. I came in at four o'clock, and everything was dirty. I didn't have nothing clean here, and I had Mister De La Ventis here with me. He was doing dishes. So lesson learned for the kitchen staff: when you're working for Dino, you do your job. He was like a for me. He's like a father, uh, a sample of hard work. Because you know, if you work for De La Ventis, you got to be there. At the studio, even before he get there, and he was there every day, seven o'clock in the morning, every day, six days a week, ten hours a day. But as hard as Dino was working, things weren't working out for his studio. He had started the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group partly because he wanted more control. He was dissatisfied how studios were releasing and advertising his movies. After a string of disappointments like Flash Gordon in 1980, Dune in 1984 and Year of the Dragon in 1985, he bought Embassy Pictures, a company that could distribute its own movies. In 1986, he started releasing his own movies, now from his studio. But nothing was hitting. Only one movie, Crimes from the Heart, would end up grossing over $20 million. And worse were big-budget disasters like Taipan. This was the first American movie to shoot in communist China and had the censorship and production issues to prove it. A period piece starring Brian Brown Taipan cost $25 million and only brought back two. Even King Kong couldn't help. A decade earlier, Robertino was dealing with sold-out crowds for King Kong. But when Dino brought back the giant ape for a second go-round in 1986 in a now-forgotten sequel that was called King Kong Lives, things turned out so badly they didn't even provide clips for national reviewers like Good Morning America or Cisco and Our next movie in 1986 is King Kong Lives, and this movie was so bad, and the studio knew it, that they did something unprecedented with Roger and Me. The film company actually sent Roger and Me letters saying they would let us show snippets of the film on our local TV shows in Chicago only if we promised in writing not to show you the same clips on this our national show. Obviously, they were scared, and obviously, neither one of us would sign such a letter. So, no scenes from King Kong Liz. That's almost a public service. Instead, just this warning. If you don't believe me, or Roger, believe the film company, then think about it, couldn't find a single scene that it wanted you to see. This brings us back to where we started. Dino seeing a line of people wanting to buy a lottery ticket and the movie idea he got from it. And just what was that idea? They're going after the money! Million Dollar Mystery, the most rewarding movie ever made. If you solve the mystery, you can win $1 million cash. Million Dollar Mystery, rated DG, starts Friday, June 12th at theaters everywhere. That's right. Million Dollar Mystery wasn't just a movie. It was a chance to win a million dollars. It was a lottery ticket turned into a feature film. The story was basically a ripoff of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Here we have a White House aide who steals $4 million from the government and makes a run for it. While on the lam, he stops at a diner and has a heart attack. As he lays there dying, he tells the patrons in the diner about his stolen fortune. How would you like $4 bucks? $4 million? Yeah, $4 million. Yeah, I'm all ears. There's 
four million hidden in four different places. A million in each place. From there, it's every diner customer for himself as they scramble to find the money first. Three times in the movie, a character finds the million dollars and each time they lose it. A case pops open and the money blows away. But that last million dollars is still out there. And during the end credits, a clue is given to the audiences to find it. Not really, though. You submitted your answer and whoever had the correct response as to where the money was hidden was the winner. No one was actually expected to go driving around the country looking for a giant garbage bag full of cash. Yeah, that's right. It was a giant garbage bag full of cash. You see, there was a promotional tie-in going on with the movie Million Dollar Mystery with Glad. They were rolling out their new Gladlock bags, and what better way to get the word out than with a movie that was really a lottery and maybe was really a commercial? After all, the movie poster itself did feature a Glad bag stuffed with cash. You knew it was a Glad bag, after all, because the Glad logo was right on it. And that dying guy in the diner? That's none other than Glad spokesman Tom Bosley. In fact, you didn't even have to see the movie to get in on the million-dollar giveaway. Glad had entry forms on every box of garbage bags. I don't want to oversell its importance to the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, but Dino did think it was going to be a big success. He spent $10 million making it, though he didn't bother to hire any big stars to be in it. Other than Tom Bosley, you might know Eddie Deason, one-season SNL player Rich Hall, and there is a small part for a relatively unknown Kevin Pollack. Dino rationalized making Million Dollar Mystery this way. You know what? You got these pieces of shit playing. In another... You gotta that the piece of shit plan. Except that with the this piece of shit, I'm giving away one million dollars. Which piece of shit do you think they're gonna see? Huh? That quote from Dino was taken from a 1989 Spy Magazine article detailing the literal and figurative misfortunes of the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. And full disclosure, that was not really Dino saying it, but rather a very bad and kind of entertaining impression. And as for audiences, they opted to not see this piece of shit. Million Dollar Mystery would end up grossing $989,000. Less than the $1 million they gave away, and certainly way under the $10 million they spent to make it. As for the movie itself, well, it probably belonged in a garbage bag. By 1987, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group was over $16 million in debt. He was forced out of his own company, which ended up being sold to Carolco Pictures in 1989. A number of movies made for Dino's company would have to wait to be released by other companies who ended up buying their rights. The longest waiting period was for a movie called Rampage. It was a William Friedkin psychological thriller that was filmed in 1986 and didn't get a release in the United States until 1992. Some speculated that Dino's problem was that as a producer, he could get his movie funded, pre-sell the foreign markets, and collect his million-dollar producer's fee and let the studio worry about whether or not it made money. As a studio head, he now had overhead costs that he never had to deal with before. Things like movie prints and advertising. When it was all over, Dino would land on his feet. He always did. He resumed his producing career and kept on making movies until his death in 2010. Robertino would leave the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group too, but stayed in touch with his mentor and father figure Dino. After Dino passed away, Robertino would make his morning cup of coffee and pour one for Dino as well. 
you know, I have a picture of Mr. De Laurentiis in my, in my living room, and I knew that he liked coffee and espresso every morning. So every morning, I, when I make coffee, I put a cup for him, too, in front of his picture. I serve him coffee every day, and when I look at the cup, it's lesser than what I put there. So, you know, maybe sometimes it evaporates, you know, science, it will evaporate. You expose it to the air, it will evaporate. But still, you know, I got some kind of faith that maybe before I pass away, I probably uh, can do something. Then, in 2013... I was in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Robertino was staying at a hotel that a friend of his owns. It's called Hometown Inn Suite. Nice hotel. It's like, I said, a three-star hotel. It's nice. Now, I want to let you know, things are about to get a little weird. One day, I get up, I open my eyes, and I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that I see, but I, that I thought I saw three three goes in front of me. And I go with myself. I, I usually use three, three pillows. I threw one at them, and I yelled, I've never seen that before. It's just like a three beings in front of me looking at me. And I go with myself, and I said, you know, I, maybe this is a medication reaction should be noted that Robertino has diabetes and takes medication for it. I was scared to look again. I fall asleep again. In the morning when I got up, I said, I was, I was dreaming. I'm pretty sure that I'm, I was dreaming. But when I got up, I saw the pillow right where I threw it. I said, well, you know, I'm puzzled right now. I don't know whether I was seeing the ghost or that I was dreaming. But there's a pillow right there. I threw a pillow. So the next morning, Robertino talks to his friend and tells her about what happened the night before, how he was sleeping. In the middle of the night, he woke up and saw three ghosts and then threw a pillow at them. And uh, she told me, Roberto, you take too many Percocet because I'll be taking Percocet for pain. You're taking too much medication. I said, oh, no, no, I'm not. I know I take medication and I've never seen this before. Robertino is certainly not the first person to see what may or may not have been a ghost in a hotel room. So what exactly happened? Of course, we don't really know. What I do know is that of the three ghosts he saw, two of them were women. And the last one was Dino. He hasn't seen the ghosts since then, but the incident has stayed with him. Hello, hello. But we're not done yet. And it's getting a little weirder now. In 2018, still with the ghost of Dino De Laurentiis on his mind, Robertino got in touch with Bob Wagner. And Bob Wagner is the host of something called Celebrity Ghost Box on YouTube. And what you're hearing is Mr. Wagner's attempt to contact the spirit of Dino De Laurentiis. Dino De Laurentiis, this is your token here. What you see when you watch this video is a darkened room, a table with candles, and more lit candles are added as the video goes on. This candle is for you. Please use that candle as a beacon to come forward. And lastly, there is the main attraction, a large machine of some kind that looks like a 1940s radio. That's where all the static you're hearing is coming from, and that's what Dino's spirit may or may not be using to respond to Mr. Wagner's questions. My name is Bob Wagner. I'm from Wagner ITC. As he asks questions, words flash on the screen. Most of the time, it's random cryptic things like, I'm not dead, or we're out of here, and you are pretenders. Watching this video, sometimes I could understand what the voice coming out of the box was saying, but most of the time I couldn't. Eventually... Mr. Wagner asked Dino about that night in Jacksonville. 
three years ago, Robertino had seen three phantoms in a hotel room. Is this true? You're guilty? Was that you? Now that you can hear pretty easily. The voice said, I'm guilty. So that was him in the hotel. But I can't picture who were the other ladies. We never do find out who the women were, by the way. And even though he has an answer, not everything that came out of that video made sense to Robertino. On that video, you know, I don't understand nothing going on on that video because he's, he mentioned something about, he gave me a couple names. I, don't, I can't come up with any of those names. Give me a number, I can't come up with that number. And 30 years after leaving the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, Robertino still has a morning cup of coffee with his mentor and friend. And don't go thinking that Dino doesn't know about it. You know weekly that you get something served to you. What do you, what, what do you think is served to you weekly? In case you missed it, he said coffee. All right, let's do it one more time. That's coffee, right? The De Laurentiis Entertainment Group didn't last long and certainly made a number of bad movies like Million Dollar Mystery and its brief history. But there were some good ones as well. We already mentioned Crimes of the Heart, but also cult classics like Blue Velvet, Manhunter, which I should point out that Dino hated, by the way, Evil Dead 2, and Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow's first feature, were all made there. And since I know some of you out there would be outraged if I didn't mention it, here you go. They also made Transformers the movie. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Industry. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Dan Delgado. Hey, that's me. Special thanks to Robertino Yanzani for participating and sharing his story. Robertino is not just a cook, by the way. He's also a puppeteer. And he's written a book about this subject. It's called Marionettes, and you can find Robertino's book on Amazon. Also, thanks to my brother Eric, who was the maybe not-so-convincing voice of Dino De Laurentiis. This episode featured music by Wayne Jones and BizBaz Studios. Articles used to help research this episode can be found at our website, theindustrypodcast.com. There's also a link to the Celebrity Spirit Box video in case you want to see the seance that was done for Dino. There's also videos for seances done for a number of other dead celebrities making strange noises coming out of what looks like souped-up old radios. If you feel compelled to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, so be it. I would greatly appreciate it if you did such a thing. It does help the show find new listeners. At least that's what every podcaster says. If you want to get in touch, you certainly can. Send me an email at radiodanshow at gmail.com. If you're into the whole Twitter thing, we are too. Our Twitter handle is TheIndustry13. No, the number 13 does not mean anything. And we will be back again soon with another story of some of the lesser-known things that went on in the industry. Good night. Good night.